This week, Hannibal joins Game of Thrones and the Librarians in the exclusive club of shows who are allowed to complain about their dragon budgets. This is a matter of taste. <laughs> We're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepotiz. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> wackadoo. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Matter of Taste. My name's Fio. I'm here with Ian. Hello. And we are here to discuss Season 3, Episode 10 of Hannibal and the Woman Clothed in the Sun. So, where do we want to start here? (laughs) There is a lot in this episode. Yeah. We've got, I I guess, we've got, the the main things are the Dollarhide-Reba relationship that is further developed. We've got Dollarhide and Lecter having their first interactions. Um, which are much more direct than they were in the novel. Because <laughs> in the novel, it was mostly letters and, uh, cor- like newspaper correspondence. And then uh, we've also got Will and Bedelia. This is true. Yeah, I think that. I don't know if the newspaper correspondence, like how well that would have worked. Yeah. It would have been time-consuming. Yeah, and also, what's the modern-day equivalent? Like, Craigslist misconnections? That just seems tacky. Yeah. Like, I don't don't think Hannibal would jump for that. I mean, there are still newspapers, (laughs) Fia. Really? Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just... I'm already living in my awesome cyberpunk future. I don't have time for (laughs) things like the printed word. (laughs) <laughs> he says spending a hundred dollars on printed comics every month. <laughs> he, says, he says having gone to college for creative writing. He says having never sold back a book he bought in college. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Never sold back an English book. But having, anyway. <laughs> he said having been called quaint and adorable. For wanting to have a library. No, okay, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> You're never gonna live that down, man. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut that if you want. <laughs> no, it's fine. Leave it in. Anyway, uh, the written word, yeah, newspaper. It. I guess it, he could have done it through, like, a web blog. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think, um... Hmm. See, because I want to say, like, oh, well, 
you know, maybe the extended timeline wouldn't have worked for what they're trying to do. But it worked out fine in the movies, and they were dealing with less time there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, who knows? Um, but I did like... It could just be as simple as... Um, it would. It was easier for them to sort of finagle the script into getting Armitage and uh, Mads Mikkelsen to talk to each other. Yeah, because that was really, really cool. Yeah, I, I and that that's something that's sort of been carried throughout. This is like in the first half of the season, we got Will and Hannibal having that uh, session in the middle of the woods as Will's outside Lecter Manor or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then we've got last episode, uh, the whole shift from uh, the Baltimore Institute to uh, the best office ever to the Leeds home and everything. So I I really like the way that they've been so fluid with the landscapes and everything. Um, And it was interesting with this scene specifically because you had... uh, And we're talking about, obviously, the first scene of the episode... uh, Dollarhide breaks into the Hannibal's office, tap, I guess, taps into the phone line at the Baltimore Institute. Um, as Raiden put it on Twitter, they put, they put the wheels on the Batmobile. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, it transitions from their phone conversation to Hannibal and Dollarhide sitting across from each other. But we also have Dollarhide, like, as they're having their conversation from the chairs, there's also still, like, the quote-unquote real dollar hide uh, sort of observing the scene as a third person, which is really interesting. Yeah, that that was done in a very interesting way. And he, like, he's walking behind Lecter and stuff, and... Uh, I, I mentioned this to Theo right before we started recording... In the span of like thirty seconds, we get Hannibal comparing himself to Jesus because he's because he, Hyde's talking about how he uh, he wants he wants to have some sort of connection to Hannibal and Hannibal's like, as John the Baptist uh, spoke of the person who was coming ahead of him, which okay Hannibal comparing himself to Jesus again, all right, and then um, the line immediately after is Hyde saying. I wanted to sit before you as the red dragon sits before six six six. So let's let's list. Let's count on our hands. We've got <laughs> since the beginning of the show we've had Hannibal as God the Father, Hannibal as Jesus, Hannibal as the Beast, Hannibal as Lucifer, <laughs> Hannibal as Shiva. <laughs> um, I know I'm missing stuff because. Cleo had, like, seven different things when there was, in her Mukazuke recap, um, but just, <laughs> Hannibal is just everything, I guess, which, I guess that could be the philosophy of the show. <laughs> I think, uh, in the live tweet, she also mentioned Ball. Yes. Ball, or Bale, however you want to pronounce it. So there's another to add to the list. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the guy, he does work. He does work. <laughs> um, and that scene ended with CGI, which the CGI on the show is generally really good, and I don't think it was poorly done, but it was obviously CGI. A combination of CGI, or there was that behind the scenes picture on Twitter of uh, 
Richard Armitage in the Red Dragon suit, which is kind of yeah. silly to look at out of context. So like, it, it it is it is a combination of CGI and practical. Okay, I'm assuming. Um, but yeah, that that I was not expecting. Yeah, no, I did not see that coming. And everything on the show is so understated. Like, I, yeah. we we never commented last episode on when the Hannibal and Will are in the Leeds home talking about that scene. There's that moment where Hannibal lifts up one of the pieces of mirror and he turns it and you see the Wendigo in it. And there's no scare chord. There's no, like, change in the soundtrack or anything. It's just a really creepy, off-putting moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, in, in a similar way, we didn't have too much build-up to suddenly Red Dragon, except I, I noticed this time, watching the scene really quick before we recorded, there is the reflection of and flickering of flames off of Hannibal's face before they switch camera angles, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the color the color definitely changes. Like, because he's in a very like cool sort of dark environment up until that point, and then you get that orange as soon as he starts talking in that scene. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that was. I I am glad that they have found ways to get these actors into the same rooms because that's that. Like it, it makes me think of Ian McKellen working on The Hobbit, and how, like, despondent he was about the fact that he didn't actually get to be in the same room as the other actors for a lot of the time, because there was all this the green screen uh, stuff to do, get the heights for the dwarves and Bilbo and stuff. And, I'm just, and I think I remember seeing, like, an interview with him or, like, reading something where he was like, this isn't why I became an actor. <laughs> Or something like that, and like yeah, I, I, I remember reading that. I, as much as I was glad to see him come back for the Hobbit movies, but it, it, I my heart went out to him because yeah, as, as an actor, you want to be able to play off the other people and stuff. And when you're doing all this coverage so that you can get the fantastical world right, that that I, I think about it sometimes with this, with all those scene transitions they did last episode between the Institute and the office and the Leeds home and stuff, how it must be kind of odd for Hugh Dancy and uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, how they're just sort of supposed to treat that as all the same conversation. And they're able to do it pretty well, even though physically for them, it's probably been the, the, obviously the time between them filming each of those sections is much greater than we're seeing. <laughs> They at least get to be in the same room together. <laughs> yeah. They, so, <laughs> they get to be in the same room together when they have no logistical right to be in the same room together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I guess moving on from that, we could go in a couple directions. We could go into Dollarhide and Reba. We could go into Will and Bedelia. <laughs> let's... let's uh... Let's talk about Bedelia for a second and why she shouldn't be trusted with small animals. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there for a bit. <laughs> so this this was, at least among the people that I was talking with on Twitter on Saturday, this this was a controversial scene. Specifically, yeah. Will and Bedelia sitting down to talk about Hannibal and stuff, and then that interspersed with Bedelia's last session with Neil, her patient that quote-unquote attacked her. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff going on there in that scene that, that doesn't, it hasn't really been explained. Like, Cleo put it best, like, every time we go back to this scene, just more questions arise. Yeah. How, what, what were your thoughts on the scene that, uh, when you, after your first viewing? Um, it's not, it's not something that's out of character for the show, if that makes sense. Mm hmm. Like, it started giving me flashbacks of, uh, season two, when we were talking about Will and Randall Tear and the idea of Hannibal running around setting up franchises. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, okay, we know that, we know that Bedelia is obviously, uh, more actively involved now than she was before, mm -hmm. or than, than we thought she was before. But, and we, and, you know, we do have rehearsals for that this season with Chio, mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, we just want, Hannibal just wanted to see if she would kill somebody. So I think you could, you could argue Hannibal's influence, but I, it does, like, it drastically changes my idea of Bedelia's character. And, you know, I've, uh, I'm, with my roommate, I'm watching season two right now, mm -hmm. and it's really difficult to kind of place that with the Bedelia that shows up in the intro to season two. Yeah. And, and this, this is like, this is the issue is that how, if uh, my big thing is I'm wondering how aware of what's going on uh, Bedelia is in the flashback moments, how much, right. how much of it is Hannibal letting her in on this whole franchise setting up and how much of it is him manipulating the truth. So it sounds like, Oh, this isn't, uh, such a big deal because I've had a few different theories and specifically I think about the way that Bedelia reacted to uh, Hannibal uh, and uh, the poet dude from the first episode this season mm -hmm. uh, the way that she was so uh, uh, taken aback by that the way that she was so... I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain her emotions in that scene, because the way that she was so distressed in that final scene where Hannah was talking about, this is participation, she's like, I'm just observing. Mm -hmm. um, that is the moment that I'm trying to compromise with what we know of her after watching this scene. And I had a few theories that I was throwing around on Twitter. I was really despising the one... For the first time, I was really, really despising the 140 character count on Twitter. Because <laughs> I was like, there's so much stuff that this could be. And one of the theories I had was, like... I, I thought of the Dr. Sutcliffe episode from Season 1, where you have Hannibal and Dr. Sutcliffe looking at... Will's brain scan, seeing that, oh yeah, he definitely has encephalitis, and Hannibal making it sound reasonable to Dr. Sutcliffe to not tell Will about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of me wants to think that that's what he was doing here with Bedelia, that, okay, clearly from the context clues we get from Neil, I think what was happening between Neil and Lecter was that Lecter was trying to see if Neil would be a good candidate for his whole, hey, come be a, uh, one of my serial killer acolytes type things. And Neil was just not having any of that. And so uh, he decide, Neil get, decides to uh, 
stop seeing Hannibal. Hannibal refers Neil to Bedelia, and some uh, the way that I'm the theory that I have is that when Hannibal refers Neil to Bedelia, Hannibal is in some way because Bedelia essentially says Hannibal's treatment that he was telling you, like the the eating more meat and uh, whatever it was. Um, you should you should be doing that. That that's totally cool. And so, uh, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to keep this from sounding too much like conjecture, but we didn't get a lot behind the scenes this episode that, with this scene. So, I'm a lot of it may end up being conjecture. But <laughs> I think a lot of what we say about Hannibal just ends up being conjecture. Well, yeah, but a lot of it tends to be based on a very concrete clues. Then again, I don't know. I, I have you have you gone back and re-listened to some of the old episodes? Because it's a bit painful. <laughs> well, specifically, I, I know for me, I I, I think back to uh, me thinking Alana wasn't real for half of the first season. But uh, oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. That was that was something. Which I was willing to acknowledge that at, at the time that I could be totally wrong, and I it did end up being totally wrong. But with this, there's. There's a few different theories I have here. One is that when Hannibal referred Neil to Bedelia, he was like, oh, there's something about Neil's psyche that is really fascinating, so keep telling him the same stuff that I've been telling him and uh, see what happens so that we we can... For science, essentially. That's my first theory. For science. The reason Bedelia is acting the way she does toward Neil is because it's for science or something. I actually typed up a Tumblr post that I didn't post because I thought it would it had too much of that conjecture in it where it, like uh essentially my idea was like Hannibal was like, Hey, Videlia, this guy he's so paranoid that he when he gets really worked up he starts to actually swallow his tongue and Bedelia's just like, No fucking way and he's like, No, totally totes way. Just keep doing telling him the stuff I did and see what happens and it's like, You're on and then he starts choking on his tongue. She's like, abort, abort, abort. I bet that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that, that's in, those, the... in that in that exact that that exact dialogue I bet <laughs> was exchanged. Word for word. As much of it as an, an exaggeration as that is, it is sort of along the lines of what I'm thinking is that Hannibal's like there's something going on with this where it would be uh, like with Dr. Sutcliffe, it's like how many chances do we have to observe someone like this? Right. That's one of the theories I have. The other theory I have is that when he starts choking on his tongue, we're not seeing the whole pic. This one I'm not as on board with because Brian Fuller made some comment about how, like, oh, we we were doing this to sort of set up the whole choking on the tongue with uh, multiple migs in Science of the Lambs, which we've... Like, it's been said before, it that whole thing of swallowing your own tongue is not actually possible. Yeah. Not physically possible. And so I I wondered how far they were going to get, go with that literally. And so as I'm first, for the first time watching the scene and seeing that play out, I'm still sort of, my brain is still sort of operating in the real world where I'm like, he can't possibly be choking on his tongue Maybe we're not seeing the whole truth here. Maybe we're what we're seeing is what Bedelia wants us to believe about the scene, but 
the actual scene is like Bedelia is shoving her arm down his throat before he's even on the floor or something like that. Again, I'm not quite as on board with that idea because Brian Fuller seems to really like the idea of, oh no, this guy totally, totally choked on his own tongue, even though that's not possible. And uh, the idea that, no, the reason Bedelia didn't help Neil is because of some sort of influence from Hannibal, but not in such a way where she knew completely what Hannibal was doing, that seems more plausible to me. And that sort of compromises that scene. It's a way for my brain to... to uh, compromise, is that the right word I'm looking for? Or consolidate, or... It's some C word. Uh, that's the way that my brain is able to uh, reconcile. That's the word I'm looking for. It's not a C word at all. <laughs> that's... It's not a C word at all. <laughs> There's a C in it. Um, but that's the way that my brain is reconciling... Uh, Bedelia's actions and the flashback with Neil with her progression as a character because like we also have that moment earlier this season where we get a flashback to immediately after where she's clearly shaken up by this whole thing with Neil and Hannibal has to be like if you want me to help you I can and she's like uh, you, oh you just have to ask and she says will you help me and that's where I feel like she uh, was sort of all in with okay I know that Hannibal's not a great, uh, not necessarily a moral person, but there's nothing else I can do here. Mm. But again, I don't know how much of that is me grasping at straws. I really, I really want there to be another, we get, I really want us to be able to see this scene from another angle to at least somewhat explain it, but I don't know if we're going to get that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, Take a look. And we don't even necessarily need Zachary Quinto to be back for it. I I will say I really I really enjoyed his performance. I, he was awesome. In the few moments he was on screen, he he was he was great. It is always good to see Zachary Quinto. Yeah, the whole choking on the tongue thing that. Like, Brian Fuller has talked about before how he's sort of stretched the bounds of reality and then sort of pulled back. Like, he wanted, in the Turducken episode, originally the idea was that, uh, what's-his-name put a dead bird inside the woman and then a live bird flies out. And then and then Brian Fuller was like, but that was just too magical. That that yeah. would really break the bounds of the, the realism of the show. And... Part of me wants, part of me feels like having this dude literally choke on his own tongue without any, any physical provocation from anyone else. That it, part of me wants to say that that's sort of stretching it a little bit too far, but I don't know. That may just be me. Well, I mean, that's it's different because that's stretching it too far in a way that's already built into the DNA of the canon. That's true. Um. I'm assuming we're we're definitely going to see more of Bedelia. I don't know if we'll see more of this scene, but Gillian Anderson is on the cast list for the next three episodes. Okay, that's, so we'll definitely see. Cool. Um, and I think part of it may have just been that to actually see someone try like act out choking on their own tongue when that's not something that can actually happen. That I think was part of what pushed it over the edge for me because part of me in the back as 
as great as Zachary Quinto was in that scene and as well done as it was, in the back of my mind, I was like, this feels kind of silly. Yeah, you're sitting there like, this is a thing that's not a thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I do get where you're coming from there. Okay. But I I feel like I'm beating a dead horse now. Which, Turducken episode, uh aha. It's bringing it full circle. Um... That's the episode that I bring up when <laughs> trying to explain how ludicrous some of the murders are on Hannibal. Oh. Like talking to people where it's like, yeah, it's like, I, I mean, it started out kind of like a police procedural, but it's really like so much fucking weirder than that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I almost always bring up the angel wings. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good one, especially because it's early on. Mm-hmm. But it's like trying to explain that whole idea of, you know, like when you have a police procedural and it's like, oh, maybe there's like a season where they hunt down this killer who's like really inventive and they do all this weird stuff and it's like frightening. It's like, that's, that's, that's not even every episode. That's like every 20 minutes on this show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And people are like, well, how can that be? It's like, be people! Alright? <laughs> like... <laughs> be people. Um. I... Not, not to get off topic, but how, how excited Jimmy Palmer is about the be people in that episode always just... Jimmy Price? <laughs> Jimmy Price, yeah, not Palmer. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where I'm getting Palmer from, but yeah, Jimmy Price. You're getting Palmer from Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, <laughs> Jimmy and yeah, Jimmy and the Bees. That's pretty hilarious. Yes, it really is. Also, a great like '50s throwback band. <laughs> Jimmy and the Bees. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I'm. Uh, Full disclosure to the audience, uh, I wasn't able to rewatch the whole episode before we uh, started recording, and I, I think it was similar for Theo, so apologies if we're hazy on some of the details. I've got Wikipedia open, but um, we uh, we had that scene preceded, the Bedelia Will scene preceded by Bedelia and Will in that lecture hall, which that... That whole build-up there is just great, because Bedelia's... Obviously, she is uh, pretty well off for her experiences and the lies that she's telling. And Will is just like, oh, hey there, Bedelia. And she's just like, oh, hi. (laughs) Well, looks like you got to be involved with Hannibal and not have to go to fucking jail. What's that like? (laughs) (laughs) And at the same time, still, like, as as many, as much as Bedelio was totally bullshitting everyone in that room with the, and then I was Lydia Fell. Every line she said to Will was just, like, one huge fucking truth bomb after another. <laughs> like, she was all but calling them murder husbands like Freddy. <laughs> I wish I, I had watched the episode again so I could remember some of those lines, because some of them were just, she she goes there. Uh, and like she, yeah, and she has that whole like you jealous moment, you jelly, 
where it's like, oh, we both were really intimate with Hannibal, but I'm the only one who actually got to be intimate with him. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. That whole relationship is just fascinating. Bedelia and Hannibal and Bedelia and Will now. Okay. Let's move on to something else, because I, I, I my brain keeps turning when it comes to Bedelia, but I don't know... I, I feel like it's just going to start going in not great directions. <laughs> just like overwrought. Oh, what if it's this? Um, but Dollar Hide and Reba. Yeah, I really like the way they're handling this storyline. Yes, very much. Oh my gosh. And maybe, I don't know. It seems like we, um, when we did the Manhunter episode, you know, maybe we were a bit harsh on it. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I recall getting, like, messages from people or people, like, reblogging it who are really big fans of Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's fair. <laughs> um, and I, I still actually, I looking back on it, I, I like Manhunter a lot. I, I like Manhunter a lot, but I'm, I'm in the camp of, um, between Manhunter and Red Dragon, I still think we, we were waiting on a, a really good, like really, really good retelling or adaptation of the, the Red Dragon story. Yeah. Like, I think Manhunter definitely has its moments, but I can't, I don't know. There's some <laughs> stuff I can't get past. <laughs> yeah. Fucking tiger, man. <laughs> the tiger in those chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just, did he buy them himself? I don't. I I can't. Okay. Look. Um. <laughs> so anyway, I I really do enjoy the way that um, this story is being handled. Yeah. And specifically the tiger scene, that was like a revelation to me. That scene. The combination of the actors and the way it was shot and this gorgeous piano arpeggios going on in the background and stuff and the lighting and that was the first time watching that scene where I felt like I actually got what was going on there. Because in the past, I, I understood, okay, yes, it's a powerful moment for Reba because she's having this really sensuous experience uh, being able to feel a tiger and stuff. And that's a really powerful thing, uh, for someone who has lost their sight. Um, I never made the connection, uh, which I love the way that they shot it here, how you have Reba having this moment with the tiger and everything. And then you have Dollar Hyde observing her almost reptile like the way that he's he's looking at her and watching her and he's sort of like waiting with bated breath to see how she reacts and like he he actually looks scared when he when she starts to move her hand towards the tiger's mouth the tiger's mouth mm-hmm. and the teeth and then she gets there and she's she like smiles and it was the first time where i made a connection between dollar hide and the tiger itself that this is like a moment where he sees like, oh, she isn't frightened by this sort of thing. Maybe she won't be frightened by me. Maybe this can actually work. Yeah, I I feel like a bad English major. Because it wasn't, it actually was in the intro to this episode where uh, Hannibal quotes Blake's poem, The Tiger, 
And I was like, of course that's why she touches a fucking tiger. Like, oh. <laughs> I, I don't know that poem, so. It's, it's sort of like a commentary on, uh, there's, there, there's a lot of, uh, different interpretations of, uh, I mean, it's, it's a commentary on, you can, you can draw, uh, connections to like the bestial aspects of human nature mm-hmm. or almost <clears throat> the bestial aspects of like nature and the world itself. Um, cause it's, it draws, it draws like a, uh, a sharp sort of, it draws a sharp picture of the dichotomy between how gentle the world can be and how horrible it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, bu- 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 Which perfectly suits Dollarhide. And even even Hannibal quotes it in the first scene where he says, "Did he who made the lamb make thee?" Yeah, I was wondering what where that line came from. Yeah, that's that's from the tiger. Wow. And then you've got the yeah, you've got again another biblical reference there. And that, that if last episode was the the whole theme was family, this episode the theme was definitely the beast. Yeah. And, uh, Which is funny because the beast are the next two episodes. <laughs> yes, it's it, it's setting it up, setting up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you can even say that with what we know now of Bedelia, she's become a little more bestial. And I think even their conversation had a little bit of that talking about the that idea of being a beast or being a killer and stuff and all that. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I wish I'd watched it again so I could remember specific lines and stuff. But yeah, that that was just the overarching theme this episode, the idea of being a beast and what that means for you, the way you interact with the rest of the world. I'm just sitting here convinced I butchered that interpretation of the tiger, but I haven't read it in, like, years. I'll also go back and reread it so I can <laughs> make an ass out of myself next time we record. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, that... I, I think we did we did see a lot exploring the you know the the bestial aspects of the world in this episode, which is interesting because that's not that's not normally something that Hannibal uh, Hannibal has done in the past. Do you know what I mean? Like even with. Even with the comparisons between Hannibal, like in earlier seasons, with uh, between Hannibal and the Wendigo or Hannibal and the Ravenstag, mm-hmm. they were the, these like weird ethereal figures. But I wouldn't, I don't think I would refer to them as bestial. Yeah. Even Ravenstag, which is an animal, like mm-hmm. that's not a word that comes to mind for any of those scenes. Yeah. The only other time I can think of it is of. Anything being uh, bestial is the Randall Tear episode. And Randall he, Tear definitely comes. Him from. literally wanting to be a beast. <laughs> I think that that may have been that that I can't remember if Brian Fuller specifically said it was influenced by the idea of Dollar Hyde turning into the Red Dragon, but I I I can't imagine there that wasn't going through their heads when they're talking about oh this guy wanting to be a beast of some sort. No, it definitely had to be. Because we see, like, season two had a lot of rehearsals for Red Dragon in it. Yeah. 
Well, and we've had a lot of them since the beginning of the series, the whole idea of becoming... We get that. We got that as early as the Angel uh, Maker episode, uh, and all of the "Do you see?" stuff. What do you see? And Garrett Jacob Hobbs saying "see." There, this this specifically this ha- specifically this half of the third season. There's been a lot of stuff that has made me think back to the first season, at, which makes sense because a lot of the first season was drawing directly from the Red Dragon storyline, if not in literal plot details, then in philosophies and lines and stuff. We're we're coming full circle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> it does make sense then when you hear Fuller saying things like, you know, this, he, he ends every season as though it could be the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Like, this actually feels like, not, I mean, not to say that the other endings wouldn't have worked, but this one in particular is like, okay, we, we've been seeing rehearsals for this storyline in particular since the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And like, we knew that Red Dragon would have to come up at a certain point, just be, because of the nature of, where the sh- like where the show takes place chronologically, like seeing the riffs on Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and Hannibal Rising were all kind of a surprise. Red yeah. Dragon was the one thing we kind of knew was going to happen. Because mm-hmm. it's where the Will Graham character comes from, right? <clears throat> and it's been interesting watching this season, this part of the season. Because uh, I think I mentioned last episode how I've been doing my best not to compare, like, not to criticize too much based on comparison to the previous interpretations. But there there have been moments where I'm almost... Like, okay, so this episode we got Hannibal's phone call where, with the whole, I'll dance at your wedding. <laughs> Which, I, I love Mads Mikkelsen, but there... And again, I don't know if it's a criticism against him or if it's just because I'm comparing it to Hopkins in my head. But some of the line, some of the scenes that Hannibal has been getting this part of the season that are directly from the novel that we knew Mads Mikkelsen was going to have to portray, I, they're not quite doing it for me. And I think part of it is because my brain keeps comparing it to the way it's been previously done, which is a little unfair to Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, no, I I can see what you're saying there, though. Like, and also the whole suspension of disbelief thing, like, the person on the phone, it's like a receptionist at the Institute, and they don't recognize the voice of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he didn't even try to... Again, I don't... Knowing... uh, what Mans Mickelson's voice is like, I don't know if he is good at trying to change his accent or anything like that, but he didn't, and maybe he tried it and they would just sounded silly, so they were just like, just do your regular voice, but I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, just give the voice of the devil the, the address of Will Graham, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's been like, it's been all in the papers and on TV and stuff. Doesn't this strike you as a little bit suspicious receptionist person? 
I mean, we talk a lot about how there are certain things you just go with on this show, but they're really starting to stretch the bounds for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, there's so much I still I do still really like about the show. So the things that bug me aren't so much to outweigh my enjoyment overall. Like, like so much, again, all the praise to... Well, not again, because we haven't had this before, but all the praise to Richard Armitage for bringing it the same way, to, like, the same level as Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen in just a few episodes, because I'm really loving his portrayal of Dollarhide now, especially the way that he did the whole painting-eating scene. Yeah. The way that he picks it up and he's sniffing it and, like, caressing it at first, and then he opens up his mouth and just starts biting it piece by piece. Like, I, I think there were people on... I think Alina said that she hadn't seen the movies or read the book or anything, and so she wasn't expecting that at all, and she was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and I... I <laughs> Like, I love that, that that's a reaction for the people who aren't familiar with the story because, and like, for people who are familiar with it or who have seen Ray Fiennes, it's interesting comparing that scene in particular to Ray Fiennes' performance because when Ray Fiennes did it, he was like, he looked really worked up about it and distraught. Like, he crumpled yeah. up, he t tore it in half, crumpled it up and just started shoving it down his throat and he looks like he's about to start sobbing or something. Which sort of makes sense with the arc of that being that story being told as a movie and where Dollar Hyde was in the story, but the way Armitage did it, it's this very sensual, weirdly sensual thing, and then he just starts devouring it, and it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so yeah, all all of the praise to Richard Armitage because he he's bringing it. I don't know. I can see that reaction because I remember that being my reaction the first time I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, I was talking about it with my dad, and he was like, "Like I'm thinking, but that he part of his brain was not divorcing it from it, it being an actual painting, and he's like, no, you can't eat the actual painting.'" <laughs> Like, he knew it wasn't the real painting, but part of his brain was, like, having the reaction as if it was the real paint. Like, they actually got the painting from the museum for Richard Armitage to eat. It's like, you can't do that! <laughs> yeah, that, that that whole scene. And then the the curveball they threw at us with Will Graham actually running into Dollarhide at the museum. That's not from the book or the movies. As far as I can tell. Yeah, no. No, it uh, it wasn't. Not from what I remember. And I'm wondering how that's going to affect the rest of the season, because Will has seen the guy now, and you know he knows <laughs> that that was the guy. Yeah, I mean, the guy threw him from the elevator, so <laughs> if that wasn't the guy, then... <laughs> It's someone close to him. But yeah, how, how do you think this is going to affect the way that the storyline plays out now, since Will has seen the guy? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of how it plays out in the novel and the movies, and obviously Will... I mean, it can he... It like. 
possibly Will could just go straight back to the FBI and tell them who, like, physical appearance, he's got that. Yeah. I mean, they have physical appearance, and they have, I guess they have roughly the area he lives. Yeah. Like, they've, it's a pretty big area, but it's a, actually, it's a huge area, because didn't they, didn't he take one family from Chicago, another family from yeah, I don't. New York? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that based on him being at that museum, they can figure out. Oh, he's nearby or anything because he's he's gone really out of his way. No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about the museum. I was thinking oh. about where his where his murders took place. But even then, I think they were they're I think they're further than they were in the book. Yeah, they're they're pretty disparate. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, he has he has physical description, but. Yeah. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if it, that would really necessitate a change too much. Hmm. I mean, aside from the cops putting out like an APB on anybody who looks like Dollarhide, but that. I mean, that could be a lot of people. Yeah. And how is that gonna? How's that gonna affect his relationship with Reba? That's true. Because that, that, the, the way... I mean, that, it's not like she's going to know what he looks like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, not to be a dick, but... No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. But, uh, if they're able to attach a physical description to a name or, or anything like that... Yeah. Then that's going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah, and it would definitely accelerate the timeline. Yeah. The, we, we haven't talked this episode about the whole scene, uh, the, the, their whole progression this episode, how early in the episode was the tiger scene? That was pretty, that, that was before her going to his house, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the impetus for her going to his house, I believe. That's right. And then we got her talking about what people say, which that, that was, that was such a pleasant surprise, the way that they turned that, because the way it's building up, you're expecting her to say, oh, they think you're really creepy and your face is disfigured or something, and then it, it turns around and she's like, no, they actually, they they think you you look nice. If uh, I, I can't remember, obviously, exactly what she said, but that, I, I sort of, as much as I know this show subverts stuff, they were going down a certain path, and... Uh, I thought they were going to continue, for some reason I thought they were going to continue that down that path, and then it's like, no, it's actually, it was kind of sweet. And then we got the moment on the couch, and I was like, oh, okay then, this is, this is happening. And that, and I'm just like, oh geez. <laughs> I think, I'm pretty sure she has the same kind of moment in the book and in the Red Dragon movie as well. well I don't know if it's, it's a, if it's as explicit as it was here. But yeah, it's I don't remember it being kind of... that explicit. Which this is on TV, so the fact that it's more explicit on the TV version than the movie version is <laughs> kind yeah. of hilarious. But yeah, then we got another another uh, psychedelic sex scene. <laughs> um, and we got Dollarhide waking up. And uh, Reba's not there, which 
again, Richard Armitage's reaction and him, like, it's like, oh shit, did I eat her? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as he, like, I mentioned this on Twitter, as he's running around his giant house, I was just getting flashbacks to playing survival horror games, like, uh, I don't know if you ever played the game Scratches, but the mansion... No. That, that's a game where you explore a mansion, and seeing Dollar Hyde running around his his place reminded me of exploring the mansion in Scratches. <laughs> it, it was kind of an indie game, if I remember correctly. It was, it was pretty interesting. It sounds really interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, that friggin' Dollar Hyde's house is ridiculously gorgeous. <laughs> Also, it was another excuse to have Richard Armitage run around in his, in his underwear because I guess we're taking every chance we can with that. <laughs> Which I don't. I, I I'm not saying I have any any issues with it. I I, I part of me is hoping that uh, Richard Armitage is okay with it. <laughs> Which I guess he is if he filmed it and he's okay with it being put on TV. <laughs> I'm sure it's just, you know, refreshing not to have to wear eight pounds of beard. That's true. That's very true. Torrin's beard wasn't even that big. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, besides that... Um, yeah, who the hell on... Oh, Neil Frank. Okay. Neil's last name was Frank. I was seeing on Wikipedia, it was like, Frank states that under Lecter's so-called care, I'm like, his name isn't Frank, it's Neil, but I guess Frank is his last name. Yeah. Um. Yeah. After Lecter gets Will's address, do we see him at all for the rest of the episode? I don't think we do. Because we get the Bedelia Will stuff, we get all the Dollar Hide stuff. It, it really basically just shifts to Dollar Hide. And yeah. now we've actually reached... A, I remember realizing this as we were watching it, as I was watching it, that we're we're hitting a point where Hannibal's role in the, at least this episode is becoming much more like his role in the first two movies, Red Dragon and... or. or Red Dragon slash Manhunter and Science of the Lambs, where he's not the main character, and he is kind of a secondary character, someone to fill fill in time between the stuff going on with Dollar Hyde and Will. Mm-hmm. And that that was that was just a, like a shift that I felt on a on a gut level, where we're watching the phone call scene, and I'm just like, oh, there's been a a change in the power balance here because Hannibal isn't commanding the story in this episode. Yeah, we definitely have... Or from a storytelling point of view. Yeah, we definitely have Hannibal switching to an outside orbit, and it's a different... It's a very different experience for the show. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see how well it ends up working in the next couple episodes, because I think that dynamic's going to stick around at least until the last episode, where, you know, Fuller kind of made a point of saying it reestablishes... Hannibal and Will's relationship to one another in a very interesting way. Yeah. So at least until, at least over the next two episodes, we're going to probably see Hannibal on the outside orbit, which is going to be really interesting. And with Hannibal getting Will's address, I'm not, 
Now I'm not positive how, um, spoilers for, you know, yeah. anybody. I'm not positive how the end game's gonna go. Cause I know we were talking about maybe Alana's family being the subject of, uh, Hannibal's end game, which I thought was interesting. And I was also really worried cause, um, Catherine Isabel is only credited for the last episode this season. Oh. Like, aside from her appearances so far. Hmm. Like, she's not showing up in any other episode aside from the last one. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh shit, that might actually be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. But yeah, that, he, he that, got Will's address. Yeah, that also doesn't feel right to me because I feel like Margot got out of Hannibal's sphere of influence fair and square. Like, yeah. Like, it's, it doesn't, like, attacking her just strikes me as something that Hannibal wouldn't do, you know? Yeah, the only reason I could, uh, the only reason I could see him attacking her is to get back at Alana for something. Right. So I don't know. Because as much as we've seen him have, like, we also didn't think, we also, well, I also, I, I can't speak for you, I thought that Hannibal had a, a good amount of respect for Bella, and then the moment she passes out after taking all those pills, he flips a coin to decide her fate. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter who it is. It's you're you're gonna play your games because that's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is true. I did like I I really liked that line in episode seven of the season when Margot goes down to talk to Hannibal in his pen. And he starts talking to her, and he's like, uh, and he, I think it's when he, when he says, I, I still think it would have been more therapeutic for you for, to have killed him. And she's like, are we in a therapy session again now? And, and again, I love the, her delivery, Catherine Isabel's delivery, because it's, it's this, there, there's so much that comes through in there, just the weariness and just like, I don't even fucking know anymore. Who do I yeah. trust? <laughs> fucking A. <laughs> Yeah, I. Yeah, I. I don't know. I, I. Again, him asking for Will's address, that does make me feel like okay, maybe our theory was wrong, and he's not sending Dollarhead to kill Will's family or to kill Alana's family. He's. See, I don't know. Him. It might be a little too. I, I don't think we ever really tossed it around as a concrete theory, mm -hmm. as much as we discussed the option of it. You know. Yeah. Because I don't know if I was if I was ever a hundred percent behind it, but it was something I was sort of keeping on the back burner, thinking yeah. about. Like I think of like my theories for different shows, and there's usually something that I'm like, I have a pretty, I have at least a seventy percent, you know, um, certainty that I think this is going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, and that's like when you know discussing shit like Game of Thrones with people, I'm like, if I have a theory, it's something that I. I I would at least feel comfortable putting it forward and saying, I think this is a possibility of happening. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, it was like, you know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite that concrete. Yeah. At least for me. I'm, I'm not speaking for you, obviously. No, I, 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 I think I was sort of in the same place. Where it, it at, the, at the point that we were discussing it, it felt like it was... To me, it felt like it was equally as possible as... Hannibal sending Dollar Hyde to kill Will's family. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I was completely uh, subscribed to... No, that's definitely what's happening. 
Um, but yeah, we've got three episodes, so we'll find out soon enough. Yeah. We, I was thinking about, we, we didn't get any interaction between Will and Hannibal this episode, did we? Um, trying to think. I don't think we did. No. Because the only Hannibal scenes we really got were the one at the very beginning with Dollar Hyde, and then the one with the phone call. I think that's it. Just the it, it's so fascinating the way that the balance has shifted away from Hannibal. Yeah. On the show that bears his name. Yes. Um. Yeah, I. I'm I'm reading the, more of the Wikipedia article again. Uh, and yeah, Lecter was giving Neil the phototherapy stuff that. I guess he gave Will and, uh, or similar to what he gave Will and Miriam. Yeah, I don't know. I, I want to learn more about that backstory, but now I'm just worried that it's going to raise more questions and cause more confusion. Cause my, the thing that would be most disappointing for me is to find out that, oh, they started setting this stuff up, uh, stuff, they started setting this stuff up in the previous seasons, and they're kind of sloppily trying to bring something together that makes sense in the context, but also fits the story overall, and they're not doing a great job of it, which mm-hmm. we I think we've accused them of that, that possibility before, but it was never in... That they, we were usually able to come up with reasons for things or thing, we learned more about situations and it's like, oh, okay, no, this, they were doing, they were doing certain things on purpose, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I guess it, it kind of connects back to how we were sort of, like, or at least Vic and I were kind of wish, wishy-washy about some of the imagery this season and how it felt a little less concrete, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Again, it may be a situation where once we see the final episode this season, it'll... I'm sure it's going to be part of that, that once we see that episode, that's going to cast everything in different light, and it's probably going to make everything feel a bit more complete. But at yeah. this point... I I know I've conjectured enough this episode, so... Uh, I don't know if there's any more stuff we can really cover. No, I think... I mean, I, I have faith in the Bedelia storyline and how it's going to work itself out, if only because we know we have at least three more scenes with her. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure, like, you can't drop that fucking scene on our lap and then not talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm sure we'll have, like, it's it was pretty pretty shocking to see this episode. Yeah. So I'm sure we're going to address that. Probably this week, I would hope. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but no, I, I don't have any other real conjecture to offer. <laughs> Alright. So, I think uh, that's about all. Uh, what's the next episode? The next episode is And the Beast from the Sea. So yeah, tune in on Thursday in Canada, Saturday in America, sometime next week for other people. <laughs> yeah. The, thir- um, the 15th and to be announced. Yes. Uh, for 
episode 11 of season 3 of Hannibal and the Beast from the Sea. And uh, tune in for our discussion afterward. <laughs> oh my. Good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at a matter of taste podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AMOT Podcast. Find full episode posts at a matter of taste podcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Like clear my throat here. How dare you! I'm. I counted shit. down. <laughs> <laughs> you counted down to when we're recording. <laughs> that didn't necessarily. It only implied that I should start the intro there. I can technically do whatever the hell I want. Well, technically, <laughs> I'm we're probably going to get a lot of people talking about how many other shows feature dragons, though. <laughs> I, I will never get over that, because that was just amazing. <laughs> anyway. I forgot about that until you brought it up. <laughs> I will never forget. Just the look on your face was so dumbfounded. <laughs> I think it was the first time in your life anyone had called you adorable. It might have been. It's entirely possible. <laughs> I have completely derailed this podcast. I apologize. That might be a record. Yeah. <laughs> That might be the earliest we've gotten completely fucking off track. <laughs> Time to derailment. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I really like the uh, way just for a second. I'm getting a call from someone. Okay. And it was a wrong number. That's going to be fun to edit. No. <laughs> anyway, you were saying the chairs. <laughs> no, stop. Don't, don't try to bring me back to the chair. The chairs. <laughs>